people, including myself, forget that my first couple of projects were in the D&D space. Hey, it's Che, and this is a Roleplay Rescue bonus episode. Hello, Rescuers. Today, I have another bonus episode of the show for you, released outside the usual Roleplay Rescue schedule, so that anyone interested can get in on the Kickstarter, which has spawned this one too. Douglas H. Cole is the owner of Gaming Ballistic, the first licensed third-party publisher for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game and the Fantasy Trip, and working in support of Steve Jackson's popular role-playing games. A short while ago, I was privileged to be able to catch Doug for a chat about his forthcoming projects and most notably his entry into the old school essentials BX D&D kind of space with a really cool Kickstarter running until the tail end of August 2022. Big thanks to Doug for coming to speak to us and I hope you find this conversation illuminating. You want to especially look out for Doug talking about a few new projects previously unreported. Let's get into it. Hi, Doug. Welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on board. How's things? Things are okay. Things are good. Um, coming off of a couple of uh, projects and working on sliding into a few more. Again, the first half of the year was Nordland Bestiary. So that was a big hardcover book that uh, went out to people. And that was, uh, as a lot of things involving shipping and uh, overseas printing and stuff uh, have been these days, that was a challenge to, to complete. But now I'm kind of trying to run like five campaigns in six months. So we're uh, pedal. I'd say we, but, you know, it's me and my cat, uh, my cat. So we're pedal to the metal here at Gaming Ballistic right now. Right. So, well, I have to say thank you for the, um, yeah, Northern Beastory, which I held up a copy of, but no one can see because I'm not showing the camera. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, beautiful book. And it was lovely to, to receive, along with all the card decks as well and everything. The cards were uh, uh, maybe surprising, maybe not surprising. The Fantasy Trip people love their cards. Right. I've I've printed up like printed up like eight decks of cards for the TFT people following mm. the decks of destiny model that uh, Steve Jackson Games pioneered. And I was curious as to trying it because one of the things that every game master and most players know is that one of sort of the enemies at the table is page flipping. Mm. And I feel like the cards uh, which have a somewhat abbreviated monster stat format on the front not very uh, but where i sort of lax wax loquacious about powers or abilities i just cut it down to just what you need to run it hmm. um if i was looking for room and i was frequently looking for room because gurps write-ups are uh, uh space filling hmm. uh, but on the back of the card uh is the color image of the monster and where the creature is not human scale i i have ilsa the five foot nine inch barbarian <laughs> with her her viking round shield but in silhouette mm. so you know some of these creatures become a lot scary when you see how wide or tall or whatever they are and mm. i kind of imagine these cards being stood up 
so that the game master sees the stat side and the players are faced with mm. the uh, the monster side as a sense of scale. Um, and I always thought that that was kind of cool. And roughly a third of the people, I think, who, uh, you know, I think I had about, what, 685. So it's kind of my best ever bestiary. And I think I printed, I don't know, 300 card decks. Mm-hmm. So 250, 300 card decks. So it was quite a few who opted in for the cards and you know some people opted in for the uh just the core deck and Mm. some people did the the extended double deck which has like 185 cards in it um so but yeah that was that was good and and you know the project had some financial ups and downs but it was to date it's been my most successful by any metric but uh some funny things happened on the way to tax time um and uh uh i got uh made a rookie mistake in terms of actually making money in my hobby so wow. i had to pay a twenty thousand dollar tax bill ouch was, yeah it was one of those things where i'm like oh look here's twenty thousand dollars that i'm gonna need to pay for art and printing and shipping and whatever whatever and i'll just set that aside as working capital and the government's like no that's not what you signed up for you signed up for january 1st to december 31st so that twenty thousand dollars very quickly became taxed at roughly, you know, thirty, thirty-five or whatever percent. Um, so I wound up paying a bunch of taxes on what was otherwise a very profitable year. Uh, mm. and then I went on to spend almost exactly twenty thousand dollars to finish the bestiary. So my planning was good, just my timing was bad. But you know, <laughs> okay. I won't make that mistake again. Well, I have to say it's a lovely book. I'm sitting here like leafing through it. And what I love yeah. is the fact that you've got this lovely heavy you know, paper, um, full color. The cards are lovely as well. I mean, I, I quite like you. I mean, I'm not playing face to face at the moment, but I anticipate sure. that we will. And holding up the pictures will be really fun. Yeah, no, the, the paper is something that I like to do. You know, it, it's 150 grams per square meter, uh, which in the US terms is a hundred pound paper stock. Uh, so it's heavy. It, it's heavy mm. matte coated paper. I don't like using glossy paper because it's a reference book and it's read under light and glossy mm. paper, while it makes the art look a little better, reflects all that light and make, you get glare and stuff. And so mm. I feel like the matte coating is easier on the eyes. So it's this yeah. thoughtfulness you have about its use of the table that I've always admired. There we go. Anyway, we're here to talk a little bit about OSC, actually, interestingly enough. So come on, tell yeah. us about that. What's going on with Old School Essentials? Yeah, so Old School Essentials is kind of uh, a reformulated basic expert uh, that that took years and years and years of what is it, in and out, inner print, outer print, uh, and can sort of consolidated it and, and where there were inconsistencies, because there were, the basic and expert and, and some of those mm-hmm. other uh, pieces uh were written by different people and you know every every author has their own feel of how this is supposed to work and and it's and so you know they sort of uh gavin rationalized all of this stuff and and committed it to paper and he's been doing this for a while but recently he did an ose classic fantasy box set Mm. for beginner and and expert or beginner and advanced boxes and made three quarters or or raised i won't say made because that's not how this <laughs> industry works but raised like three quarters of a million dollars and had well over six thousand mm-hmm. people uh including myself come to play um and and it's you know i've i've spent so long in the gerps and tft space now that people including myself forget that my first couple of projects were in the D space 
Mm. Um, you know, you, you know, the, your audience can't see it, but you've got your D and D uh, t-shirt on now. And, and, <laughs> but you know, my first foray into, um, funding for, for myself was dungeon grappling, which is, mm. uh, swords and wizardry pathfinder and fifth edition. Mm. Um, and then I had lost hall of tear, which was, again, it was a, uh, uh, a fifth edition. Actually, it was really a fifth edition module, uh, built around swords and wizardry, um, or Dragon Heresy, my my mm. fifth edition. Um, what happens when fifth edition meets GURPS in a dark hotel room? Um, <laughs> and uh, and so then I had Dragon Heresy. So my first three projects that I launched when I became a, a business business in 2017 and, and 2018 uh, were really in the um, D and D space. And you know that's how, like many others, uh, both of my generation and the new generation, most people I would say got their uh, ticket punched first in uh, one version of D&D or another. Mm. Um, so I feel like I have something to offer the space. And in watching the OSC Facebook group and the OSC Discord and, and some things, one of the things that I see is, oh, I love this. I've got this box set or I've got this rule book. So how do I play? Mm. How do I play? How do I grab into this? And it is a rules light system, but still there's a lot to drink in so what i decided was that since i have these four quite expertly written solo adventures for the fantasy trip that david pulver wrote and i had illustrated and whatever that since tft and ose are of kindred spirits in terms of rules light fast play get to the table kill some monsters and take their stuff whatever tft started off with more of a tactical combat game and then grew into role-playing um but you know, so did so did really old school, mm. right? I mean, it started with chain mail and then went into, and really a lot of it was killing monsters and taking their stuff. And now it's like, oh, there's so much more than combat because because life is short, right? In in an old school game, when you got eight <laughs> or nine hit points, you know, life is short. But yes. but both of them kind of got their start in in combat games and and uh, uh, branched out into role playing to the point where sometimes people look at it and say, oh, well, it's a role playing game that happens to also have lethal combat. But because of the light or touch on the rules that both of these uh, moving from TFT to old school essentials is uh, relatively easy. Uh, mm. It's actually a little easier, I think, to uh, well, we'll see how well I do. But uh, I think it'll be a little bit easier to balance the challenge. Balance is the wrong word because I'm not looking to play fair, but I am looking to provide a certain level of challenge that allows a... Uh, a person experience in the game to uh, to play and get through the adventure with some replay value, right? Mm. Which, which means that you can't have it so that you walk through it, right? If you make the wrong choices or, or if things don't go your way, you want to arrive at best battered and struggling and at worst take you a couple of times to uh, make the right calls and get through it. Um, solo adventures are really designed for replay by yourself um that being said the other thing that i've seen people do is i know at least one person who takes the solos to conventions mm -hmm. and you know especially for people who are new to the game not having to deal with how do i play and what do i play and, and not being bogged down by sort of analysis paralysis so i've seen people uh, uh run these scenarios at conventions 
for groups of people and playing with a referee is a great way to do that as well. So it really gives you an opportunity to do everything from play yourself at your own pace. Um, you know, you, I got a baby crying in the other room so I can walk away from the table and table and then come back at my own pace. Uh, I've got, a, I've got 40 minutes to play today and that's not nearly enough time to get a group together, but I can go through a couple of paragraphs, mm. uh, or whatever. And, uh, so everything from that to, Hey, I want to learn the game. You know, Doug wants to learn the game. Amy knows how to play the game, so she's going to play game master role, and I'll play all the characters. Uh, or I can get together and say, "Hey, let's do this," and I'll run through. You know, I know the rules a little bit, and my friends have never played before, so each of the people there takes a character or two and and plays there. And uh, you know, I've got these nice. I got these four solos, and they're really you know well put together and and they're well thought through they've been well reviewed and it seemed like a great way to re-enter the space and you know if i uh uh if they're well received i have some thoughts on a couple of different things both for new material and some of my existing material to move into the ose and tft the rules light space right gurps is many things but rules light it is not at least not out of the box uh, dungeon fantasy role-playing game helps delvers to grow helps um <laughs> but nonetheless you, there's a body of material there fifth edition frankly is the same way there's mm. a lot to know and uh especially as world books and options get piled on you get into the same situation with both of those uh modular systems collect modules mm. so you get all kinds of stuff that you can hang off of the skeleton of either fifth edition or gurps to uh, gurps fourth edition to uh to make the game how you want it to. But one of the things that is kind of interesting, so I have this setting called Nordland, and it's sort of Viking-based and and blah, blah, blah. But one of the interesting things about it is, is as you want to have more going on, oh, I want to have an adventure in totally not ancient Egypt, or I want to have an adventure <laughs> in totally not ancient Japan, or you know, I want to have an adventure in totally not the Aztec Empire. You know, we bit by bit realized that the Viking mythology, the cosmology that we invented, uh, needed some tweaking to hang that off of it. And we've done that. And uh, actually, the bestiary contains, uh, in those first few pages, the cosmology of the setting uh, hmm. is condensed and rendered to print uh, in the first few pages, or really first few paragraphs of the, of the Northlander bestiary. But going forward, that's going to allow me to do a couple of things. I don't think that I've announced it yet. Uh, but one of the things that I'm going to be doing is so Nordland is sort of, you know, let's put, let's pretend, you know, Nordland is like Europe. Why not? And so you've got a continent that has Nordland, you know, totally not Scandinavia. Uh, and below it is totally not uh, Celtic Britain and totally not Carolingian France. Um, and then there's, you know, a couple other, uh, places you know totally not the mongols and uh and definitely not the dothraki because if you've read uh, uh a collection of unmitigated pretentiousness a uh he has this like five-part series on what real horse nomads are like a and uh uh game of thrones is is does a disservice to the vibrant cultures that uh i i suppose that i should just stop there does a disservice to vibrant cultures but uh, the show does a disservice to what uh, real horse nomads were like. Like everybody else, they like nice stuff. 
and they like looking nice. And if you are a king of a mighty empire, uh, especially when, you know, you know, it, it's kind of cool for a 21st century billionaire to wear a T-shirt or something. Right. Oh, I'm just one of you as I get into my private jet. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, not that I wouldn't have a private jet and learn how to fly it if I could, but I can't. So there we go. But, you know, it, 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 you wanted to look good and you wanted to look impressive. You wanted to look like a king and you wanted people to follow you. And so your warriors and chosen staff would look like servants of a wealthy, successful individual because the way that you let people know that you were successful and worth following was to have followers who were rich and powerful and, and also successful. Um, and so kings look like kings and they, they dripped money and all that good stuff. So the bestiary, like the, the, uh, the horse archer in the bestiary was illustrated by a Turk and he sent me his initial sketch and he's, he's chose me a, a, uh, uh, a European looking woman uh, with flowing hair on what is a modern thoroughbred with a, 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 an English longbow. And I'm like, no, 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 not my culture, yours. I mm. want your culture. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And so he got yeah. to reach into to proper Turkish horse archers and and really get into it. And then the, the illustration is just gorgeous. But, uh, you know, it, it sets the stage for much more vibrant role play if anyone uh, competent were to ever say oh i want to do the handbook on these horse archers uh actually it would probably have to be more than a handbook but you know if you do a book on that uh but in any case so that's kind of the the call it the western hemisphere of the world or the one the, the north hemisphere but you know it's a big planet actually the way that i look at it both for easy math and whatever is that it's a little bit bigger than earth and the area between the arctic circles um and on the one hemisphere is probably on the order of like 100 million square miles which means that the back half of the planet is also 100 million square miles uh which i believe is roughly the available area of the entire pacific ocean more or less maybe a little bit big but i'm like you know let's do this on the back half of the planet let's subdivide that area into quarter million square mile hexes which is roughly 500 by 500 miles, so 800 kilometers on a side-ish. And that's enough. Uh, so, I mean, for reference, right, England, uh, the greater United Kingdom, I believe, is about 100,000 uh, uh, square miles. Uh, Minnesota, my the home state of mine, is 90 or 95,000 uh, square miles. Um, I, I believe that France and Germany are on the order of, of a quarter million or 200,000 or something like that. So, mm -hmm. so you know, you get a hex that's large enough to contain a realm bordered by some ocean because one of the curious things about my Viking setting is you don't do very much Viking in it um, <laughs> because there's not a lot of water, not a lot of places to go and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so that was a, a bit of a, uh, oh, you know, in retrospect, this giant continent with all this land is maybe not as appropriate. But in any case, what I'm going to do is something that I call the infinite archipelago. And because of the area involved and quarter million square miles and hexes, uh, I can have 400 of these hexes. Oh, wow. Uh, right. And so, so there's, but the thing is, is what I'm going to have authors do is they're going to specify more or less the climate, which is more or less latitude. Mm -hmm. And longitude is up to the game master. How far do you want pl uh, players to travel north, south, mm -hmm. east, west before they get to this thing? And hopefully I'll have a ton of these different hexes, each of which is a unique adventuring location, which 
if you know you don't burn your ships, you can leave or go <laughs> place to place or put two things next to each other because I want totally not Korea uh, next to totally not Egypt. Mm. And I want to be able to sail for a week. Uh, actually, I think that's one of the things is that, you know, at typical kind of medieval sailing rates, uh, one of these 500 miles is like a week to cross or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so, you know, it's an empty hex is you sail for a week and hopefully you don't get, get eaten by a sea serpent. But the thing about uh, Infinite Archipelago is it really lets me play around with totally independent unique really let, i don't have to make people say okay what flavor of vikings are you writing today because mm -hmm. so not everybody wants to wants to write about vikings and not all campaigns uh, uh involve vikings although they should <laughs> but uh uh you know more seriously it's just one of those things where if someone says hey i want to do the isle of mostly the isle of slightly scary instead of the isle of dread but i want to do something and put it here great Right. You can do something that involves uh, an island up to the size of roughly Borneo. I, I think Japan is uh, on the a lot of the a lot of these land masses are roughly the same size. And so you've mm. got like a, a couple of days sailing to reach the, the borders of the hex. And then uh, and then you're off. You're, you fall off the edge of the earth or whatever. But, you know, it lets you build your own kind of thing. And so I'm hoping that this attracts writers who wouldn't otherwise be interested in writing yet another viking adventure mm. um or who want to explore you know you've got uh, maybe somebody and you know i just did a kickstarter that tried to translate some one of my books into uh, brazilian portuguese and maybe you've got a actually there is a brazilian writer who wants to try something mm. uh of their own kind of an enchanted forest sort of thing um and i'm like okay sure and we'll put this in the infinite archipelago and set it mm -hmm. up this way. And as long as it obeys certain rules cosmologically, mm -hmm. then we're okay. And we can, we can do that and we can play with it. And if someone is like, well, I don't really know the dungeon fantasy role-playing game, but I do know you're one of the 80 or 90% of the people uh, who know D and D sure. Write it for D and D and we can mm -hmm. do it that way. Well, that means that my homemade setting and the basis for all this stuff need to be made available in D and D, and to, to some ex some extent, uh, they are because my Dragon Heresy game, Fifth Edition ish, uh, is based in that. But you know what I'm going to probably do is take some of these games. You know, I, I want to do something a little crazy and take my Nordland monolithic country, the size mm -hmm. of size and shape of Minnesota, uh, or the size of the United K Kingdom and shape of Minnesota, and I want to break it up. I'm going to break it up into because uh, it's about 100,000 square miles, which means I have 100, another 150,000 square miles of ocean in my one hex. And if I break it up into bits, then I have smaller islands, each of which could be one of these petty kingdoms that existed mm. uh, through much of the Middle Ages, controlled by a high lord. Uh, and hey, look, Viking. Right. You can go across <laughs> the bay and, and go raiding and do the thing. But it lets me blow up the setting a little bit hmm. for the fantasy trip, which has no active gods uh, and old school essentials. You can kind of play either way. And, and it, it's it's a it's a much more grim and gritty type of, of existence in OSE. And although you have clerics who can cast spells, uh, there's nothing that inherently says, hey, I'm hobnobbing with. Hela or or Odin or or Thor or whoever, right? Yes, you can say that, no problem. But you can also not say that, 
mm. and have the gods be a step removed and, and humans do their own thing. Uh, and, and so OSD lets you do that a little bit harder um, than a little bit more thoroughly. And so so the infinite archipelago is something that I intend to be embracing for the next couple of years, I hope, mm. um, and letting people exercise more creativity. But, you know, to stick my my finger in the um, OSE space, I wanted to do these solo adventures to see if there's a, a, a need there. And, uh, uh, you know, the I've gotten some nice commentary um, that, oh, you know, this will be really cool. Mm. Um, you know, I need I need to uh, uh, plant my seeds in like solo role playing Reddit and a few other places, you know, Mark, as, mm-hmm. as we sort of said beforehand, right. A lot of it's exposed, you know, the good kind of exposure, not the bad kind of exposure. <laughs> um, you can't eat exposure, but you can die from it. Um, that's what I always say when people are like, Oh, you know, do art for exposure. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, I've got some ideas there, but not this year, this year I've got uh, three DFRPG projects in the works not written by me one that will be written by me a delvers to grow compendium and expansion there and that one's going to have some hirelings that one is going to delvers to grow eyes uh some of the new professions from the dungeon fantasy role uh, companion uh, dfrpg companion three has the shield bearer and uh three other new professions i think there's a mm. uh, a demon slayer an undead slayer uh the shield bearer and something else that I'm blanking on. Um, <laughs> in any case, there's some new professions that fit interestingly with the Delvers to Grow model. Uh, I would, I'm going to do a lot more disadvantage modules because I really like the idea of pick two disadvantage modules and run with it. Mm. Um, it. It's quick play. It's enough that you don't actually care so much about what are the two or three or four advantages or disadvantages that go into the module um you just say oh i'm a hero and so you act heroic or yeah. you know i'm a i'm a bastard child of a noble so i'm going to act like a bastard child of a noble um and, and you don't need to remember seven or eight mm. components of disadvantages and i really like that uh it gets the game flowing and and lets you not quite so worry about it so much and of course the game master looking at four to six players each of whom have three to seven disads on their sheet you know you're looking at 25 different things that might trigger an event or not as the case may be um so having a a couple phrase description of this uh is is useful so you know i want to make a whole ton of them and a lot of these are not going to be suitable for pcs Mm -hmm. you know like if you live somewhere and you're married and you have children and you've lived in the village of nowhere for (laughs) all of your life Maybe you're not going anywhere. Maybe you don't want to be an itinerant adventurer who leaves town and may never return. You're coming back home. That mm-hmm. is your goal. Uh, and that's not always appropriate for uh, kind of your hack and slash wandering murder hobo adventure thing. Uh, but it's entirely appropriate for a villager or a hireling that you might grab. Uh, and so I'd really like to uh, enhance the ability for a game master to very quickly go NPC. Uh, and have a, a a character who's vibrant and interesting and 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 such like that. So that's kind of the DFRPG space. Uh, and then in the OSE space, you know, I've got and even the Dragon Heresy space, uh, I have a lot of stuff on the shelf. You know, I have this 200-page bestiary now that has that really ought to have fifth edition written all over it, um, if nothing <laughs> else. You know, and then uh, I still have permission to do this Mission X 
standalone RPG, mm-hmm. uh, you know, science near, you know, modern slash near future science fiction standalone role playing game with the DFRPG engine. Um, and I think that'll be well received because, you know, one of the things that GURPS really does better than almost everything else or anything, I would say does it at least as well as any other game and better than most is modern and, and sci-fi uh, stuff. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to do a colonial Marines game, you know, like aliens, you know, yeah, you can turn to the aliens uh, RPG and I've heard good things about it, but you can absolutely run that game with very <laughs> high fidelity and, and uh, off of a GURPS engine. But if you want to run it like a movie, as opposed to, you know, Saving Private Ryan, or even if you want to run Saving Private Ryan, but you want to do it in a way that, you know, doesn't have three quarters of your party wiped out on D-Day, uh, you know, you need some action oriented uh, uh, rules in play so that you can, you know, dive for cover and find lucky breaks and, and, mm. um, and you know, yeah, you, the, the, the party that washes up at the beach, right, as you make the the dash for that very last pillbox is are the people who you're friends with Mm. um or with delvers to grow you can do like the meat grinder that we that we did um and you start with 30 characters and you wind up with five Mm -hmm. um because they get shot or killed or or eaten by monsters or whatever uh, on the way to to the end of the funnel um and having played a couple of dcc funnels that can be a lot of fun too Mm. um and you know where uh some of the more character generation heavy games like GURPS or or uh late level D D, if you're oh we're gonna jump in and play a 12th level game, you know, there's a lot of of gamesmanship skill hmm. to put feet. You don't have to do it that way, but someone who does is gonna have a, a leg up on those who don't. So Delver Girl cuts through a lot of that and lets you say, oh I'm gonna start with I'm gonna quickly put together three or four characters and run them and three of them are going to get killed, and that's the way it is. And 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 you know we uh, we designed the system as as you well know, so that if your character gets killed, uh, by the time your turn comes around, you can probably have one ready to go. Hmm. Um, I think even when you did it for the very first time, yeah. uh, trying it in preview, uh, it was probably miss one turn. Right, you know, your turn would have been skipped once, and but then you'd have a character ready to go by the time it came around again. Um, and one of the things that GURPS has not done well until that point is, hey guys, here's this role playing thing. Do you want to try it? Oh, sure, let's try it and be at the table rolling dice and, and doing stuff in 20 or 30 minutes or less. Whereas roll 3d6 in order, let's play is a real strength of of some of the low level D and D. Uh, mm. And even, frankly, high-level OSE mm. doesn't have a lot of attribute modifiers and, oh, let me pick my skills and feats and whatever. How many hit dice you want to play? Let's go, right? Yeah. So so it's really just that fast. And and for getting into the game, that is useful. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to do Zero to Hero, that's great. But if you want to start out with some capable heroes and give some robustness to bad decision-making or enable a little bit more epic play, you know, you don't want to say, okay, well, this week, let me talk characters, and next week, we'll make the characters, and then it'll take me a little bit to make an adventure designed for your characters, and then in a month, we'll play. Well, forget that, right? You've just lost whatever interest that your friends may have had. So that is, as they say that, um, and with Delvers to Grow, uh, it, I think it really uh, smooths that, and so I want to support that. Uh, as much as possible. And I can guarantee you, for example, that Mission X will use the Delver Segura character generation method. Mm. 
because why wouldn't I? It just works so well. Um, you know. So it's a bit of a match made in heaven having Gavin Norman's um, old school essentials and his high kind of standards of production alongside, you know, gaming ballistic and those very well written adventures, which I have you know, for a fantasy uh, trip, which are great, converted over to AOC. It's interesting to me, though, that, um, you know, I think in OSC, I don't think I've come across another solo scenario at all. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. I, I'm hoping that people will respond well to it. Mm. Um, I've already finished converting. I mean, part of this because I, I engaged David Pulver, the author of these four mm. scenarios, uh, to help me do the conversion or help or really he did the conversion. And then I went through it and tweaked and mm. did my, my usual editing thing. But that one's done, right? That one is mm. done, done. I could ship that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, the other three I'll be converting over the as the Kickstarter runs. But I think that Dark Lord's Doom mm-hmm. will be absolutely brilliant as a starting adventure for OSE. It's just the right flavor. Mm. A bunch of humans fighting some orcs. You start as low-level uh, soldiers and you work your way through it. And the tone is right and, and the setup is not terribly... I mean, it's certainly no more contrived than any other setup, but it's the right feel. And I, I'm going to position that as like, you know, maybe you start as mid-second level mm-hmm. and hopefully... As you go through it, you maybe gain a level or two um, as, as you go through so that you arrive at fourth or fifth level for the climax um, sort of thing. I, I really think that that one in particular has a lot of utility as a solo, as a learn the game with the referee, or as a, hey, we're going to walk through what the role playing is with three or four new players. And I think that people really dig it. Till that there was part is already aimed at third level mm-hmm. um osc characters uh vampire hunter belladonna is belladonna and a zombie friend um <laughs> a, a, a sort of a manservant um, and maybe that'll change maybe we'll you know that's the uh that's a key part of the tft lore but it's not that important for uh osc uh but those guys need to be i suspect relatively high level to go mano a mano with all the undead mm-hmm. um that uh that that's there and uh then finally uh dragon hunt has always been a meat grinder of an adventure uh <laughs> i think that we talked about this when i first made it uh but it for those who haven't heard the story um david wrote it and we sent it out to playtest uh, and and I've the more and more that I've done this, the more that I've insisted on actual at the table blind testing. I'm going to give this to you. I'm not going to make any of the decisions, and you run it, um, <laughs> and and make sure that it 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 survives contact. Uh, but we sent it out, and people quickly reported back that they couldn't make it through with one character solo style. They couldn't make it through the first encounter. <laughs> They mm-hmm. just, they, you know, the, the monster showed up and just chewed him up and spit him out. And we're like, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> try taking two characters. And like, well, that took an extra minute or two for the monster to chew me up and spit <laughs> me out. Okay, uh, take all three of the optional characters. Oh, okay, now it's a fight. And that worked out. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the same many on one problem that, that most lethal games face. Mm. You know, having three attacks for your opponent's one 
matters, even if that one attack is very strong, mm. it's only directed at one person. And so if you can dogpile a bad guy uh, or a good guy, then it's over pretty quick. Uh, and so the the scaling of multiple adventurers mattered a lot. So Dragon Hunt is exactly what it sounds like. Your her- heroic, epic adventurers are being called to uh, rid the lo- a local land of, of various worms and dragons and, and, and bad things. And because David is David, there there's some uh, twists on, yeah. on what you run into. But I, I, I think that that's like a, a ninth or 10th or 11th level kind of thing where yeah. the heroes being called are, are very established uh, uh, fighters and, and wizards and, and whatever. And what Gavin was saying was that he found that kind of interesting because most OSE campaigns that start at first level peter out long before they get to that point. Mm, um, and, and so... This is kind of a low stakes of entry way of experiencing high level OSE play. Absolutely. It's a great doorway to that, I think. That's right. And so so I'm hoping that these four are are uh, appealing and, and help gaming ballistic uh, enter into that space confidently um and, as well as uh already known production values for mm. for these adventures and stuff. Uh, but make no mistake, I'm going to have to do some more because, uh, uh, like, for example, you know, I, I know that I'm going to have to commission a few new pieces of art for Till Death There Was Part because the layout's different. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that you know, OSE is, is really designed around theater of the mind uh, a bit more than how many hexes do you move, mm. uh, which is very much a TFT hex, mega hex conceit. So, you know, they're played a little bit differently, and that's u- useful. Mm. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what these become. And, and you know, by the time that uh, this conversation uh, is live, we'll be within a couple of days of the end of the campaign. So uh, hopefully I'm uh, looking back and, and seeing hundreds or maybe even thousands of people come out to, to check these out. So we shall Hopefully. see. What interests me most, I suppose, just to finish off talking about this, yeah. is this idea of bringing what I know to be the old school communities. It's big. Right. But it's also not necessarily familiar with the writers that you're working with. And I think it's really nice to bring like David across and yourself, others into that space and bring them into contact with a whole different audience. And of course, it'd be interesting to see how they react to that, how they respond to those writers, because I mean, they're fantastic writers, I think. Um, But of course, there may be people they've never come across or read. I think it'll be really interesting. You know, David has a, especially has a breadth of experience. Um, You know, he collaborated for with Tower of the Moon, which Mm. is a TFT, but Tower of the Moon started as uh, Swords and Wizardry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it started as an OSC adventure. That's the version I have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hall of Judgment is, uh, was my, was my GURPSification of my fifth edition slash Swords and Wizardry Lost Hall of Tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, which started as a convention adventure, got pointed out in some uh, play feedback that, you know, the things that you do in a convention adventure don't always work as well as a campaign. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, well, I can fix that. And so I did Hall of Judgment and then retroactively did it as uh, Lost Hall of Tear 2nd Edition. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that's a, a classic quest mm-hmm. uh, by by me. And, and I, you know, I think that there's a lot of... Uh, some appeal to it but yeah some of my other authors i think will 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 do quite well uh in the space and you know different people play different games in different ways and that's okay and bringing these uh perspectives and 
these adventures and the flavors of adventures and some of the world building ideas and and this stuff you know i mean no one wants to read a thousand page backstory but you know some of these adventure trope these adventure ideas are quite portable mm. um and, and having them um cross over to as many people possible uh is not just great from a proliferation perspective uh you know it really helps from a financial perspective too this is a hard hobby Hmm. um especially as fragmented it is and with such a large individual single player and and a very loyal fan base in that space mm -hmm. uh it, it makes it can make it challenging to eat uh for lack of a better word um you know especially when if you're going to try and do it like i'm trying to do it right now as as a sole uh, uh source of income um you know the best advice that i can almost give to any content creator wanting to be their own game coming and you know get in the boat and row themselves is don't um you know have another source of 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 income um there's an old aviation joke and i think it applies to uh uh role-playing game publishing industry which is you know the best way to make a small fortune in this industry is to start with a much larger fortune and work <laughs> your way down and and there's some truth to that a lot of companies and and people are really if, if they if we tried to run as a going concern our one six one failure from oops well that didn't work one of the reasons i have like five or six projects going on right now is is just to make sure that i've got enough going on and that plays to my strength of project management you know mm -hmm. my uh till death was part tft launched on june 7 content creation and layout and everything that was needed to to make that happen was finished by june 30th so about three weeks later mm -hmm. I believe that if they weren't shipped today, the last 16 books will ship out of Games Quest today or tomorrow from mm. the United Kingdom. And then they're and that's done. Right. So in, in fewer than less than two months from from sort of June 7 to August 7, a solid project. Right. Mm. You know, uh, 585 backers um, fulfilled in, in completely fulfilled physical and everything, mm. uh, including cards. So anyway, uh, but yeah, so it's uh, filling internationally. You know, the uh, OSE has, I think, because it's it, Gavin is in the UK, has a strong uh, European following. Oh, yeah. um, and so I definitely, and I've been talking to, uh, uh, actually by the time that this airs, this will be a done deal. But I've been talking to Exalted Funeral uh, about mm -hmm. fulfilling a, a physical starter pledge. So the classic fantasy rules tome Mm. plus my four adventurers so that you can just have everything you need in one pledge in case you missed some of the other kickstarters and we've been having a lot of back and forth in a useful fashion about where am i doing this from yeah and the answer conveniently for them because they are a uk-based company is well i'm printing at mixum in uk and we'll stage this at mm. games quest and like yay and i'm printing mixum usa and we'll need some books mm. in the usa they're like well they're on a boat <laughs> Maybe we'll get there on time. We'll see. Um, and so, you know, we're we're, we're going to work that out uh, yeah. over the next couple of days, I hope. But, you know, I think what we're going to probably wind up doing is I'll start with a limited pledge, 50 books in each mm -hmm. site or something like that, mm -hmm. um, and only open it to certain places um, yeah. that are that are easy to fulfill. Uh, and if that fills, I'll talk to them and say, hey, do we have 50 more books? Mm -hmm. And if that fills, I'll do it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, when I did a starter pledge with the fantasy trip, 
uh, I had about uh, 5% of my pledges were physical yeah. starter kits. So, you know, even if my project blows up and I get like, you know, 2000 or 3000 backers, which would be so amazing. Um, yeah. But you have no idea what that would do for me. Right. I mean, it mm -hmm. would, it would, it would, uh, it certainly would. You know, I mean, it's not going to be an expensive project. I'm discounting the pledges quite mm -hmm. a bit. Um, you know, I, and you know, again, this will be almost over by the time we talk, but like, you know, I'm doing a pick one PDF for 10 bucks, which is less than a modern retail price, pick two for 15, get all four for 25, uh, and all four PDFs retails like 50 bucks, hmm. um, or get physical copies and PDFs for 50. And I think the, uh, starter PDF, all, you know, four PDFs and the, the hmm. rules tone PDF is like 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a slight discount on, on Gavin's rules tome. Um, I'm going to make almost no money on that, which is fine. Uh, not the whole thing, right? I'll make what mm -hmm. I make on the $25 pledge, but you know, it's Gavin's book. He gets mm -hmm. the majority of that money. Uh, and then, you know, I'll buy the rules tomes physical at a uh, retail price. Mm -hmm. um, so there'll be a little bit of extra there, but uh, you know, I'm expecting sort of an average pledge and I try not to account for, starter kits and oh you know mm. everybody goes through. so i sort of assume about a, uh, a historically accurate mix of of <laughs> physical versus but uh, yeah i'm expecting like you know a 30 or 35 dollar um average pledge based mm. on on the numbers that i just said we'll see whether or not uh, i revisit this and say oh my god or yay uh, <laughs> but you know um the the one of the nice things about this one is that uh I do have a lot done and I can do a lot of it myself. And so um, it really should be a, uh, if I could get a thousand or 2000 backers, uh, it will make a, a profound uh, difference in my, in my ability to um, do some of the more long range projects that I'd like to do. Mm. Um, because, you know, when you're, when you're a small timer like me, you know, like the, the fantasy trip project that I just did, you know, it accounts for about three months of income. Mm -hmm. But I started the year with six months of zero because I was fulfilling the bestiary. So, you know, I'm, I'm behind by, by quite mm -hmm. a bit. Um, fortunately, you know, I'm a, a, a kept man. My, my wife has a, a good job uh, uh, turning cow poop into uh, biogas, but uh, her, her job is actually really fascinating, right? It takes mm -hmm. uh, methane, d dairy waste that would normally be turned into methane uh, and collects that and purifies it and puts it back into the, the system to get clean power out of. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, if it weren't for that, I'd be back in technical management, which hmm. while much more lucrative is a lot less fun, but uh, uh, you know, so it's just one of those things where, you know, I do have some options and the opportunity cost of doing the game business is, is, is financial security apparently. Um, but you know, this would really, you know, a, a blowout here would take me a long way uh, and let me make simultaneous projects on several of those other uh, uh, efforts that, that we talked about earlier. Um, so I'm really hoping that uh, for a lot of reasons um, that this project is well received. First of all, they're really good, right? I mean, these are really fun solo adventures and I think that people will uh, enjoy playing them however they approach. Um, but also I think it, it, it makes a great, uh, entry into the space and i look forward to serving it more doug thanks very very much for your time it's lovely just to wind you up and let you go 
Right, right, right. Yeah, you know. Absolutely great. Thank you. Thank you. Be well and good luck with the Kickstarter and we'll we'll speak to you soon. Thank you much. Big thank you once again to Doug Cole for coming and talking to us. I'll stick links to the Kickstarter and a link to Gaming Ballistic in the show notes. Massive thank you once again to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. Thanks as ever to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again very soon. Game on.